Good morning, Green Tree family. My name is Boone, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to, that's been entrusted to me to share with you this morning. I'm thankful, and I want to say thanks to the pastors, to the staff, and to the elders for entrusting me with this, this great and humbling responsibility and just believing in me and trusting in what God has called me to do. I know this is some unprecedented times and it is so difficult for us to continue to have to gather in this way and how I long to be with you all face to face. Just know that this is temporary. And what we're doing here, what the staff is doing, what the leaders are doing here, the pastors are doing here is just really trying to care for you and care for our neighbors as well. Good news is, though, is that soon there will be some in-person outdoor gathering opportunities. I also want to say thank you to my beautiful bride, Tequila, my wife. Thank you, baby, for everything that you do, for all the sacrifices that you're making. And, you, you know, just thank you. You are the heartbeat of our family. Today we're going to be looking at a story a part of Jesus' story as recorded by Luke. And as we prepare to check this story out, I just want to acknowledge something. This is a very stressful and traumatic cultural climate. Not only are we dealing with this global pandemic that has infected nearly 6 million people, claimed nearly 190,000 lives, in America alone. And of course, we're witnessing all of the civil unrest, all of the racial tension, not to mention that man, we're in the heat and closing in on a very divisive national election that's putting us against each other. And to add insult to injury, we have this around-the-clock news cycle, like 24 hours a day just pumping in bad news on TV, on social media, all over the Internet, in our conversations. Just everywhere we turn and everywhere we look, we look we've been bombarded with Bad news. It's no wonder why we're in the midst of a national mental health crisis. And so if you're struggling mentally, if you're struggling emotionally, I get it. I'm praying for you. The Lord gets it. But all is bad news coming in from every angle imaginable that we can't help but to engage with on some levels, there's a question that I want to ask. With all of this bad news, is Jesus still the good news? Is Jesus still the good news? And if he is, if we believe that he is, if we agree that he is, then for whom? 
sometimes it's very difficult for us to remember that our creator, our heavenly father, this is not what he wants or wanted for us. He wanted so much more for us. He wanted a rich and right relationship between us and him. He wanted a rich, right relationship between humans and humans and between humans and all that he has created. It's hard to imagine as we're dealing with pandemics, as we're dealing with civil unrest, as we're dealing with racial tension. It's hard to imagine that this is not what God intended. God really wants us to have harmonious and healthy relationships with him and with each other. So let's just see what we can learn from this part of Jesus' story. We'll be looking in Luke chapter 4. Now this story covers several verses, but we're going to cover about six of them. I'll mention and refer to to others, but we're really going to be focusing in on about six. I'll be reading from the ESV. And feel free, I know it feels weird, but feel free to read along. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given unto him. He unrolled the scroll. And then found the place where it was written. And this is Jesus here. And this is what, this is where he, he, his voice entered the conversation. Right at verse 18. This is what Jesus said, quoting parts of Isaiah 61 and a little bit of Isaiah 58. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, and his voice is gonna enter back in. Jesus' voice is entering back in. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We're gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you, For those who really, like me, miss the face-to-face personal engagement that we, we, we receive when we're gathering together in public, I want you to read this prayer with me. This is a prayer, by the way, that was written by Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, a humanitarian, a civil rights activist, an educator, a woman's rights activist, um, born, as a matter of fact, to her parents were former slaves. And this is what she said. And around the 
time of World War II. This is what she wrote. And you can pray this with me. Father, we call thee Father because we love thee. We're glad to be called thy children and to dedicate our lives to the service that extends through willing hearts and hands to the betterment of all mankind. We send a cry of thanksgiving for people of all races, creeds, classes, and colors of the world all over the world and pray that through the instrumentality of our lives, the spirit of peace, joy, fellowship, and brotherhood shall circle the world. We know that this world is filled with discordant notes, but help us, Father, to so unite our efforts that we may all join in in one harmonious symphony for peace and brotherhood, justice, and equality of opportunity for all men. The task performed today with forgiveness for all our errors, we dedicate, dear Lord, to thee. Grant us strength and courage and faith and humility sufficient for the task assigned to us. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. Jamar Tisby, the author of the book, Color of Compromise, which some of you may have read, and I'm sure it's on many of, your, many of you all's reading list. He's a historian and Christian speaker who has worked in a variety of white evangelical spaces. He's quoted as saying this, I have reached the point where I know I could never flourish in a church that has to debate Black Lives Matter. The words, the concept, the organization. When police shoot black men like Jacob Blake seven times in the back, why is there even a question? Tisby continues, I could never flourish spiritually. I could never feel at peace putting my family in such an environment. I could never fully trust the ethics or theology at a church that compromises racism in the face of black death at a church that tiptoes around prophetic calls for justice at a church that wrings its hands over how some members might respond. Tisby continues, is this your church? I'm asking, is this us, Green Tree? Tisby continues, is this your seminary? And I'm asking, is this the true, is this true of the seminary I'm attending? Tisby continues, is this your denomination? And I'm asking, I hope you're asking, 
is this our denomination. He doesn't stop. He goes on. And I'm sorry, this is uncomfortable for some. Is this your favorite author or theologian? And I'm asking, are these the only voices that we deem credible? The painful truth about this statement, regardless if we agree with or we find ourselves able to support or justify Black Lives Matter, the organization. The truth is there's a lot of ethnic minorities that are struggling with whether or not they are truly and wholly welcome in our churches. Are they allowed to bring their authentic self? Whatever, regardless of what you think of parts of this quote, I want you to just recognize with me, consider with me the pain and abandonment that is felt by Jamar Tisby amongst people he had worked with, lived with, and loved for years. Um, and I want you to imagine that if this is hard for an otherwise faithful and, by the way, welcome voice in reformed Christian circles. If this is true for him, how difficult this is for those that look like him in other people of color or in other people, a part of marginalized uh, people groups that are not yet followers of Jesus, if it's difficult for a, fo a faithful follower of Jesus, how much more difficult it is for people that look like Jamar, people that look like me that are not yet Christ followers. Green sheet, I want to know, I have to ask you this question. What about me? I don't doubt that you pray for me. I don't doubt that you love me and I don't doubt that you care for me. And I have a great, rich, relationships and partnerships here. But what about me and my family? Is it okay for us to say black life matters? Or do you want me, as I pull up on our beautiful campus and as we are parking our car, preparing to enter our worship environment and gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family, our uncles and aunties and big brothers and, and sisters and little brothers and little sisters. Are you expecting me to when I pull up to tell to ask my wife and to to inform my children that, hey. We can't say black lives matter here. Leave that part of your experience in this car until we return. Is that what you want me to ask my family, my wife? I know it's hard for us to hear this. And I'm sorry. But I'm saying it because I love you. 
I'm saying it because I love my church. If I'm being honest, I must admit that my patience is faltering as I'm consuming way too much bad news. As a matter of fact, there's times when I have to take breaks from TV, from social media, and from all conversations, COVID, all conversations, race, all conversation, politics. If I'm being honest, and and if you will be honest with me, you too may be experiencing some emotional or even spiritual burnout. This will lead you, this will lead me to to, to have a lack of the much needed patience to care for others and to love them as we love ourselves. Now we must remember that this Jesus, the Jesus of of, of the Bible, the Jesus of the story we just looked at in in Luke, he is not an Anglo-American. He is not an African-American. He is not a conservative evangelical or a progressive activist. Jesus is not a Republican. He is not a Democrat. In fact, he is a Palestinian Jew living in an era when his nation was under the oppressive regime of Rome, a foreign occupying force. His people would have considered themselves to be God's chosen people, God's hand-selected people. But at the time, it didn't really look like it, nor did it feel like it. And I'm sure you're, for, for, for some of my friends and some of my family, some of the people viewing this, I'm sure you're asking the question, especially if you have not yet, if you're not yet following Jesus or you're struggling with your faith and you've walked away from religion and some of what, we're, what I've mentioned before contributed to you walking away. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you may have a question like this. Do you expect me to believe that there's this magical God in the sky that is really concerned about me? But all the bad news going around, pandemic, racial tension, civil unrest, visceral political warfare. Do you really expect me to believe that there is a God in the sky that cares? And so we ask this question, is Jesus still the good news? If he is, good news for who? I'm going to answer the question by saying, yes, Jesus is still the good news. Jesus is the embodiment of sacrificial care for the poor and for the marginalized. Jesus is still the good news because he is the embodiment of the sacrificial care that that he is concerned for us physically and he's concerned for us spiritually. If we just look at what the text says right in between and those verses between 16 and 18 where Jesus travels back home and he's gathering together with friends and family during their weekend service, which was what happened on, on the Sabbath. He is here reading and interpreting. Interpreted from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus not only preaches what otherwise would have been a welcoming message to a 
otherwise friendly crowd, he was reminding the people in those verses, 16 through 18, he was reminding the people of Yahweh's faithful promise to redeem them from the hands of this foreign occupying government. And there he he talks to poor, oppressed, blind people. Verses 24 through 28, we see, in the story, we see that, but, but there's an awkward turn to the event. We're really not going to talk about this a lot today, but I just I have to mention it for context. There's this awkward turn of events while he's here with his family and friends in Nazareth uh, back home. This, this friendly crowd all of a sudden turned hostile. This welcoming, friendly crowd that probably was anticipating the, the hear from, from the Jesus that grew up with him because they probably would have heard about all of the miraculous things that he had done up until that point. This, this friendly crowd turned hostile, and it's not because of, of all of what he said, not because he was reminding them of God's promise concerning their deliverance, but because the promise that God was, was offering was going to be offered to other people including those that they would have considered to be unworthy culturally, religiously, politically, and they would, have, they would have considered them to be enemies. Is that us? Are we willing to shut down when we hear our Lord and Savior says that his good news is for all people? In all places, in all times. John Calvin in his book, um, The True Christian Life, a little small booklet, he, he says this. Christians ought to imagine themselves in the place of the person who needs their help, and they ought to sympathize with him as though they themselves were suffering. They ought to show real mercy in humaneness and offer their their assistance as readily as if it were for themselves. Heartfelt pity will banish arrogance and reproach and will prevent contempt and domineering over the poor and the needy, end quote. And we may ask this question, and it's a reasonable question. It's a fair question. I think it's an honest question. How are we, how are we supposed to model this today? How are we supposed to model this in our current climate? And I just want to suggest one thing, just one thing I want to suggest. And I know that everybody, a lot of us don't want to hear what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say this. We can wear these scary and uncomfortable and inconvenient masks. That's one of the ways we can care for the poor in, in our, amongst us. Just one way. Not only is this care for, for those with compromised health, 
But this is a direct way to care for the poor. And there's an article uh, published in June in, um, in the Oxford University Press, and it goes on to say, the COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected racial and ethnic minority groups with high rates of death in African-American, Native American, and Latin communities. Are they worth it? Even though they're scary, even though they're uncomfortable, even though they're inconvenient, even though it infringes upon my rights and my freedoms, is it worth it for me to love the most vulnerable amongst us? And yeah, we can ask the question. My, my friends and family that's faltering in their faith and, and struggling in religion or have walked away from it all together or at least parts of it all together. Ask the question, why would a good God allow this to be happening? And then it makes us ask the question again, is Jesus still the good news? And if so, then for whom? And I want to answer by saying, yes, Jesus is still the good news. The gospel is still sufficient. Jesus shows empathy and concern for, for the welfare of the most vulnerable people. As he's in this conversation, if you look at with me in verse 18, he's talking to and talking uh, about the most vulnerable people, people that would have really needed help of God and help of, of neighbor. Beth Moore is quoted saying, when the gospel has become bad news to the poor or the oppressed, to the brokenhearted and imprisoned, and good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged and said, it is no longer the gospel of our Lord Christ. Now, of course, she's not saying, and of course, Jesus isn't saying in this story that, that rich people uh, are, are, the vic, are the villains and that God isn't concerned in love for them. Of course, he's saying that. But he's specifically speaking to people who are otherwise vulnerable. Because if, if we're being honest, it's true. If we're being honest, this is true, right? That a lot of times when we don't have a whole lot of material need and we haven't experienced a lot of lack or oppression, we sometimes forget that we too are dependent solely on God as our, our provider and as our protector. Both for us physically and spiritually now throughout eternity. There's another uh, quote from uh, Walter Layfield, and he says this, the poor, like the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed, are not only the unfortunate of this world, but those who have special need of dependence on God. 
And you may say, Boone, okay, but, 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 but how, right? Where? Where am I to do this at? You may feel like you're not in close enough proximity to people that are vulnerable to be able to serve and make an impact or have an impact or to really be engaged, right? And so I just want to suggest some things for you just to remind you of some awesome things that Green Tree is already doing here. Just to name a few, not everything, but just to name a few. Uh, Kirk Care, Oasis, 2028, Better Together. You may even prayerfully consider partnering with us, our North County church plant, Woke Bridge Community Church. By the way, I'm going to be deleting that church plant, so you may want to consider that. But still, I know that some of us are still struggling, right? Eh, you know, some of us are saying, yeah, you, Boone, you're a pastor. You're, you're, you're kind of supposed to say that. You're really so, kind of supposed to believe that. But you may say, if God really can heal the blind and set captives free, well, just, why don't he just do it already if he really can do it? Why don't he just do it already? Why won't God just sell word and just just poof, COVID's gone, racial tension's gone. Why won't he do it already? And so we ask the question again, and you're asking the question. And with all this bad news, so is Jesus still the good news? And if he is, who is this good news for? And I'm going to answer. Yes, Jesus is still the good news. And the gospel is still sufficient. Jesus is the good news to those of us experiencing anxiety, loneliness, and are struggling with any and all forms of bondage, injustice, inequities, and oppression. See, Jesus is both here in this text, in this, this consistent reoccurring theme in, in Luke's writing. He is both the promise, right? He is this promise that, that God is going to do this, that God can do this, that God is still committed to his covenant people, that God is still committed to his creation. He is also the fulfillment of all of those things by coming to earth, living amongst us. His life, his ministry, his death, the, the, the burial, and his resurrection all point to the fact that he is not only this promise that he was quoting from Isaiah and other prophets that he was using in, in this part of the story, he is the fulfillment, providing eternal hope for all who respond to his liberating love. This good news preached by Jesus, though it wasn't received as good news at all. Imagine, how can, how, can we just think like, really? This is what Jesus gets up and say, and this is good news? 
and it was not received at good news for y'all. Again, not because it didn't promise to bring the long-awaited liberation of the Jews and break the chains of this oppressive regime, but it included, again, it included those people. (laughs) The ones whose cultures were different. Maybe even the way they looked were different. Their political views were different. And therefore, they wanted God to treat them different. (laughs) That is a question. How many of us Bible-believing Republicans are praying for those leftist liberals? Another question. How many of us Jesus-following Democrats are actually praying for those right-wing Trumplicans. Maybe we have a problem if we are more interested and willing to defend and fight for our political views than we are to defend our faith and fight for the church's witness to the world. I'm coming to my close. I know it's hard to stay in front of the screen this long. I know it's hard. Thank you for hanging in there with me. I'm coming to my close real soon. But I want for I want to share this illustration with you from Tony Evans. In New York Harbor, there is a lady who stands tall. She holds a torch in her hand, given light. Inscribed on the pedestal upon which this lady stands are these famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We know this lovely lady as Lady Liberty or the Statue of Liberty. And she stands there in New York Harbor with a crown on her head that has seven spikes. The spikes speak of the seven seas and seven continents. In other words, no matter where you are in the world, this is what this It's supposed to mean no matter where you are in the world, you come to America, you can come with all your mess. You can come with all of your problems. You can come with all of your burdens. You can come with all of your needs. You can come because Lady Liberty is holding a torch to show you the way. At the bottom of Lady Liberty's feet is a chain that has been broken. She is inviting, she's inviting the broken and bruised people who have been held hostage in one situation or another. No matter where they are in the world, they are welcome to come to America for freedom. Let me say it again. 
they are welcome to come to America for freedom. God is holding the same promise of freedom to those who are looking to escape bondage. He welcomes all to come and to bring their problems, their burdens and needs. He is faithful to show us the way. I'm out of time, but in my in my closing, I just want to say one thing. Like the Statue of Liberty, it is an image of a a national promise and a national proclamation of good news to those seeking safety, security, and sanctuary. An image made by hands. (laughs) We should be seeking, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we should be seeking those of us who have been rescued and redeemed by his blood, we should be seeking how as image bearers of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the protector and provider for our souls, we should be seeking as image bearers of this living good, living God, how we, should, how we can be likewise proclaiming the good news. But this good news is different than the good news promised by Lady Liberty because Lady Liberty can't fulfill that promise on her own. But the good news of Jesus Christ is both the good for common and eternal safety, security, and salvation that can only be found in Jesus. This is the good news for all people in all places at all times. Whether you are a conservative evangelical or whether you are a Christ-following activist, whether you are poor or rich, whether you are white or black, male or female, whether you're struggling with your sexual identity, no matter what that is, whatever that looks like, we need to know that Jesus is the good news for all. And so if we ask him a question, is Jesus still the good news? The answer is yes. The problem is, oftentimes, the world looks at the church and that's just not the news they see lived out. Thank you. Let me pray. Lord, we need you. Clearly, we're unable to do this on our own. Lord, we need you. Oftentimes, we trust the things we trust and the things we rely on and we depend upon are not the things that you've intended for us to find our trust in. Lord, we need you. Empower us to be light of the world, light of the earth, and to be salt. Lord, we need you. Help us not only proclaim that good news of Jesus with our words, but let us proclaim it with our lives and all that you've entrusted us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.